can be seated. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. What an amazing time of singing the songs of God. What a privilege we have as his people to sing his songs this morning. Um, I don't know if you saw this in the news. I'm not sure how far out into the news it made it. But around Christmas time, there was in a church in California an untimely death of a, of a baby. And the family decided that they were going to, in their church, pray for the resurrection of this child. Uh, this was, I think, a two-year-old, and they were going to pray for the resurrection of this child. So they put the baby in the morgue. Uh, they did not follow through with the funeral for quite some time as they waited and prayed. And so it gathered attention, as you would imagine that uh, event would, and those, uh, uh, those turn of events uh, would, it gathered media attention. The pastor of this church recorded a video as to why they would do this. Why would they do this? And these were his words in the video. He said, uh, Jesus raised uh, people from the dead. And since we are called to do, this, was, this is a summary, since we are called to do what Jesus did, this is why we are praying for this and believing that this can happen and will happen now what when you think about it, it that can get into some murky waters and you wonder how do I think about this and how do I make this decision yes Jesus raised people from the dead could he do it today yes but is that the reason is that the rationale? You could also make the argument come tax time that if you go to Curtis Creek and go fishing, that hopefully you'll open one of the mouths of the fish and there will be your tax money. Okay, you could make that argument because Jesus told Peter to go catch a fish Open the fish's mouth, and in the fish's mouth would be the money to pay the taxes. You could also step out onto your swimming pool and hope not to drown. Right? So how do you do it? And I'm not making light of this church. The, the Lord did not raise this baby from the dead. I, I would just say to you, I, I think without them thinking about it, that the healthiest person on the planet, once he or she catches a glimpse of Jesus, never wants to be back here. A baby doesn't want to be in this mess. No human would want to return to this once you see that, once you experience that. But that aside, let me say, there must become then what we call a hermeneutic or a way that we interpret scripture and the book of acts is critical this is for the whole book of acts 
it is written either descriptively or prescriptively, and we have to figure that out as students of the Word. If it's descriptive, it is for us to know. We simply need to know it. If it is prescriptive, it is for us to do. And so Acts as a history, the Gospels are the same. We read them and we go, oh, is that for us to know? Or we say, is that for us to do? And we will do that throughout the entire book of Acts because a history is both descriptive and prescriptive. This passage is prescriptive. It is. The title of the sermon, How to Do Church in 2020. How to Do Church in 2020. So we're going to talk about four characteristics of doing church today. Number one, an attitude. They returned from a Sabbath day's journey that was about a quarter of a mile, all they could travel, and it, they're the 11. Judas is dead. Quite a vivid description of the death of Judas, isn't it? It's pretty gross, pretty graphic. He hung himself, he hanged himself, and his, his bowels gushed out of his body. The leaven go into the upper room and notice how they are described in one accord. One accord, meaning one mind and one passion. Now, this word occurs 11 times in the Bible, 10 of which are in the book of Acts. That has to tell us something. If we as a church, are going to do anything for the Lord, we've got to be in one accord. Amen? One mind and one passion. So here we go. I have no idea how many times I've preached this. We'll have no idea how many times I'll preach this through the years God leaves me here. But at Grace, we talk about this in every starting point. Beliefs, convictions, and preferences. It's huge. Beliefs, universal, and must be held by everyone in order to fellowship. Beliefs, meaning we will all agree on them. They're critical to the faith. Jesus was the Son of God, born of Mary, who came bled, died, resurrected, ascended, and is coming back. And if you're a Christian, you say what to that? Amen. Amen. We believe God exists in three persons. We're Trinitarian. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We will not veer from that at all. There are other beliefs related to the church. Related to Scripture, it is God's inspired Word to be followed, to the T, to be understood. We believe this. Our beliefs, if you want to see them, are on our website. It just says beliefs. Convictions. 
They are personal and will vary from church to church. For example, at Grace, we have a conviction that all our buildings be used seven days a week. So, many people thought when we were building, people in the community would say, oh, you're building a sanctuary. No, we're not, and we don't ever plan to. This is it, right here. We don't plan to build anything that has chairs that won't move. Now, we'd love for all of them to match one day. That'd be cool. We got seven different colors of chairs in here, and we'd love for all of them to match one day, but seven's a pretty biblical number. Maybe we roll with that. But that's a conviction of ours. So it's why you're in this room that we clear, clear chairs out and we use it night to shine. It will look like a, a, a pretty amazing prom scene and it's been everything under the sun. Back in the day it was Narnia. Uh, we've had a boat in here. It's rained from the ceiling. We've had a volcano or in here we've had a mountain over there and we've, we've ziplined from there to over there. I mean, that's just us. It's a conviction of ours. If we can't use it all the time, we won't build it. Does it mean the church that has the beautiful stained glass and the nice benches and all of that, and it's only used for worship, does it mean they're wrong? No. It's our conviction. We're not going to judge them. Hopefully they don't judge us. Preferences related to style and will vary from church to church. What is a preference? Well, how I'm dressed. That's a preference, isn't it? Right? It, it's, it's, it's a preference how I'm dressed. Some people will look at this and go, you can't be a pastor. I mean, you're wearing blue jeans, your shirt isn't tucked in, there's no tie or there's no collar, there's no whatever, all of this. A few years ago, unbeknownst to me, I was singled out in an in academic setting for the way I dress. And so it came to my attention that, that this person said, they, this professor, that I could not be a pastor because of this. And so the college said, we want you to come to our campus. And so I did, and I sat on a stage with that man and another professor, and the three of us sat on that stage, and we began to talk about this and to talk about why I dress the way I dress and why this guy wears a robe when he preaches and uh, how much does it matter, et cetera, et cetera. Enjoyed the conversation. The professor came to me, uh, apologized for, you know, his, uh, his, uh, his words to me, and I just said, just call me Reverend from now on. <laughs> I did not. I didn't at all. Um, I want to illustrate this. This is not my illustration all right, so I don't know everything she's going through, but Sylvia Hatchell, I know it's not having a good week. Uh, she's in the news, but she's the former uh, basketball coach, women's basketball coach and, uh, for the Tar Heels. And years ago when I did youth ministry, she came and spoke uh, uh, to my students. Um, she used this. I've never forgotten it. She used it for students and talking about positive peer pressure, but I have a bunch of pencils here. Uh, for all you students, these are pencils. Uh, uh, but uh, she said like this, and she had Josh Piercy, who was a big strapping football player, to come on stage and try to break 
the pencils, and he could not, neither can I these. But she said this, just take one of them out away from these, and what happens? It breaks. So it is with the church, and so it is what Satan wants to do. If he can somehow isolate you, if he can get you off away, it may be a theological tangent, it may be a stylistic tangent, it, however, this is you. I, I've been at this 19 years this month at Grace, and I've seen this more times than I care to talk about. I've watched people remove themselves and wander away into sin and wander away into their ideologies and wander away into the things that matter least. And I've just seen them break into this attitude of one accord. That's why our first value is Jesus over everything. Jesus over everything. John said he must increase and I must what? Decrease. Oh, that we, uh, day one in the uh, New Morning Mercies, day one, January 1 said, we must learn to live for the glory of another. We're not wired that way, are we? Oh, we so want to live for our glory. We so want to do our thing. But if we are going to be God's church in this county and in surrounding counties, we must learn to live as one people for his glory. Amen? For his glory. That's the attitude. Here's the practice. Devoting themselves to prayer. To be constantly diligent. That's what the word devoting means. Now, here we go, words, they're huge. That word occurs ten times in Scripture, six times in Acts. The early church was a devoted church. I'm not going to go into what prayer is. I, I, I would assume most of us have a general idea of it. S.D. Gordon has that famous quote, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have. In your bulletin, it says prayer ministry. We have an active, wonderful prayer ministry at Grace. Let me give you three ways we pray here, and if any of these interest you, just sign, just put your name on the connection card and sign prayer ministry and turn it in on the right as you leave. On the right, that's, that's for all folks, unless you're brand new here or you've never told us you're new, the left side is for you as you go on the right. Prayer partners, every Thursday, we have 100 folks who receive an email from me saying this is the sermon, this is the text, this is how I'd love for you to pray to make sure this gets done. And so if you want to be on that list, it just simply means you get an email every Thursday. My doctoral work was on the intersection of prayer and expository preaching. And so when I looked at that and looked at it all through the, uh, the, the New Testament, I just discovered that Paul, Paul wrote the prayers of the people. Like when he preached, he'd say, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. The church, your job in preaching is praying. 
Secondly, power place. We have folks, this schedule's done, I think, for the next few months, but we have folks who pray during every one of our worship services. So they're praying. Somebody is sitting in a room right now praying for you. And so if you do that, that's once a quarter, I think, the way that schedule's rolling right now. Quite a few people on that team. And then every Sunday morning at 8.50 a.m., we gather in here and we walk up and down the aisles and we pray. And we pray for, for your row. And we, we pray for you. We don't know who's going to be in your seat, but we know God does. And we lift you up in prayer. Corey Tim Boom, that fiery little woman, said, ask this question. I love it. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? That's a bit convicting, isn't it? Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? We know what it should be. A practice prayer. A principle number three. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said. Before I jump into what Peter said, I, I want to pause a moment and to say the fact that Peter is the first spokesman in the early church is nothing but the grace of God. Why? What's Peter's last interaction with Jesus before Jesus dies? He sees him. He at least is there. I, I, I'll give him that. He's there when Jesus is being tried. And he's there when they're mocking him and they're pulling the hair out of his face and they're beating him. And a little servant girl is described, I think, comes over and says to Peter, you're one of them, aren't you? And Peter says, oh, no. No, I don't know him. Some time passes. She comes back and she said, no, no. You're one of them. I can tell by your dialect, your Galilean accent. I can tell you're one of them. And Peter doubles down and says, no, 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 no. I, I don't know him. I'm not. She comes back a third time. And she says a third time, you're one of them. And a third time, Peter denies. But this time he swears. And the language is so strong that it would be equivalent to our putting God and damn together. It's that strong. Jesus turns, and he catches Peter's eyes, and Peter turns, and he goes out, and he does what? He weeps how? Bitterly. He, he denied he even knew the man he saw walk on water. Jesus dies. Peter isn't at the cross. He resurrects. Peter's there. Runs to the tomb. 
And then Jesus does something that tells us who Jesus is. He finds Peter, and Peter's fishing. I've always wondered about this. Peter fished for a living, and every time in the New Testament he's fishing, he never catches anything. Like every single time. And this time's no different. Peter's fished, and he's caught nothing, and Jesus says cast, and they catch, and they get some fish. And you can't miss how this unfolds. They sit down by the sea, and they cook and eat and talk. And Jesus looks at that guy who said he never knew him and commissions him. If you think you've messed up too much, ask Peter. If you think somehow you've, you've gone too far that God cannot ever use you again because you've done it big, you've blown it, you've totally made a mess of your life, why don't we sit down with Peter and just ask Peter what happened? And Jesus looked at Peter and said, they're sitting over breakfast, they're eating uh, fish, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know I love you. Well, go feed my sheep. Time passes, we don't, we're not privy to conversation in between. And then Jesus says it again to Peter. Peter, do you love, Lord, you know I love you. Then then, then feed my sheep. And the third time it happens, and Peter is just, just distraught from within. He's so broken. Lord, you know, you know I love you. Scholars agree. I've never heard anyone dispute this, that Jesus intentionally gives Peter three times to affirm his love for him because he gave him three times, because Peter denied him three times it it is a remarkable moment so who's the first guy to stand up when the 120 meet it's Peter it's Peter he stands up now there are 120 there let me make a note of this don't want to be too academic but I think it's worth noting that the 120 there are, are, is the same number required to compose a Sanhedrin, meaning a ruling court. So the number 120 makes this super official, at least from a Jewish point of view. So it makes it very official. Now listen to what happened, brothers. Uh, Peter says, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Don't miss that. Peter says, well, Judas was predicted in the Old Testament. This is this rough and tumble fisherman who has enough of the Old Testament in his mind to go to it and preach to these people what has just happened. Who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and, and was allotted his share in the ministry, parenthetically. We read about how he died, how his bowels burst open, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This made news. So what? What is the principle? The early church saw Jesus throughout the Old Testament. 
the Old Testament was their textbook for Jesus. Someone has said Jesus is in the Old Testament concealed and in the New Testament revealed. He's all over it. Brian Chapel, in his excellent book on preaching, says the Old Testament either predicts or prepares for Jesus, and the New Testament is either a reflection or a result of him. It's all about him. He is all over it. So Peter goes to the book of Psalms and explains, he explains, verse 24, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his uh, place or another take his office. That's, that's what he does. And that must be our principle too. All of Scripture is about Jesus. We find him in the old and in the new. But finally, there's a purpose. Who will they get to replace Judas? It's kind of funny to us how this goes down. So one of the men who have accompanied us, Peter says, during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, he now begins to describe who the 12th apostle ought to be. All right, this is it. This is the job description. All right, so we get a purpose revealed here. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, they've got to be an eyewitness, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. You know what you learn from this one little section here? This is Jesus' ministry. Peter is saying, Jesus' ministry began when he was baptized by John. Jesus' ministry ended when he ascended. There's so much to be learned kind of referentially here. It's a powerful thing. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward too, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So what is our purpose as a church? To be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. That's our purpose. We, that's our job. Now, there are a lot of ways we may go about doing that. Right? We, we may feed the hungry, and we should. We, we may provide clothes for people who can't afford to buy them, and we should. We may do so many different things, provide medical attention, and we must. But we all, we do it all to witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Why? It's unbelievable. It's the gospel. It's the gospel that God came in human flesh, died on the cross, rose again, uh, and ascended, and is coming back. That's the gospel. That's our job. Now, notice what they do. They pray again. And it is in their prayer that we discover a model for praying Look at their prayer. This is phenomenal. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen. All right, I'm going to give you, it's going to be on the screen, one line prayer. Lord, you know, show. Isn't that good? Come straight from that prayer. 
Lord, you know. Shut. All right, so how many of you, all right, it's a rhetorical question, but I want you to really answer it. How many of you have encountered the unknown in your life in some way this week? Raise your hand. Oh, yes. And what do we got to pray? Lord, you know, show. It's such a simple trust in prayer. Lord, you know, show. Friday evening, Wendy and I are cooking dinner, and uh, we're just going to take a meal. You can be praying for John and Kelsey Kingsley. John's mother unexpectedly died this week. And so we're going to carry some food down to them, and we're in the kitchen cooking when my phone rings, and Caleb, who was playing back in here, uh, one of our college kids, Caleb calls, and he says, Jerry, I need you to pray for me. I say, Caleb, what happened? What's up? He said, somebody stole $210 out of my wallet. Ugh. Well, 210 bucks for anybody is bad, but when you're in college, that's awful, right? That's, that's like, let me do the math, 40 trips to cookout. <laughs> More or less. And you get like three main items each round. So that's rough. And I said, so, so Wendy's cooking, and I'm on the phone, and she said, hold up. What happened? And I said, well, it's Caleb on the phone, and he said for us to pray for him. Somebody stole $210 from his uh, wallet. She said, I have it. I'm like, honey, why are you stealing from a kid's wallet? <laughs> wow, we've stooped. I didn't say that. I said, what in the world? She said, let me tell you what happened. She said, this morning I'm in the cafeteria at Montreat, and when I'm in the cafeteria, this baseball player walks in, and he walks up to me, and he's got a stack of money in his hand. And he says to me, I don't know whose this is, but it isn't mine, and there's no way I can keep it. And so here, maybe you'll figure out whose it is. There's no name. There's nothing on it that says it's Caleb's. So, Wendy puts the money in a safe place. She came home, never said a word about it. Caleb calls. Wendy overhears. I said, Caleb, Wendy has your money. <laughs> he is beside himself. Isn't that a simple answer to Lord, you know, show. It doesn't always work out like that. Don't, don't hear me on that. But sometimes it does. Caleb texted me back and he said, why is God so good to me? Quickest answer to prayer I've ever had in my life. That, that builds your faith, doesn't it? It boosts your, your faith. So what did they do? They cast lots. Amazing. Well, what is it? How does that work? They were marked stones, put them in a clay jar, and so they they marked these stones. One had Joseph written on it, the other had Matthias, and there were probably some unmarked stones. Maybe not. Maybe just two. Shake it up. 
pour it out, and whoever stone comes out first, you're it. No lie. And you may say, well, how in the world is that trusting God? Isn't that insane? Like, shouldn't we pray, get a peace about this? I mean, should, should, we, should we do this? No, Lord, you know, show. And we expect God, you're, you could be sovereign over stones falling out of a jar. And so we're going to pray. We're going to put some stones in the jar. We'll turn it over. Now, I know I'm making much of this, and it never happens again. Never in the New Testament. It's not prescriptive. It's not how we're going to start choosing leaders at Grace. All right, just saying. I'm just saying, descriptively, it shows that our God is sovereign over stones in a jar. Amen? It shows that we serve a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ever think or ask according to his power that is at work within us. I walked over and, and asked about Becca. How's Becca doing? She made it to England. Janet said, you'll never believe this. But she gets on a plane, ends up beside a girl from Michigan who's going to the same place. They live side by side. Wow. Do you think God delights in doing that? Yes. Yes, some of you, I know you're skeptical, and some of you are maybe angry at God, and some of you are maybe frustrated at Him, but could I just say to you this morning that as Jesus said, as a father longs to give good gifts to his kids, so the Heavenly Father longs to give good gifts to us. Lord, you know, show. Would you bow your heads? If you're in here this morning and you say, I'm in a Lord you know show moment, I, I need, I need the Lord to show. It may be heavy, it may be big, it may be small, it may be many things. Lord, you know show if that is where you are would you just stand up right now so that we can around you pray for you and say by that I want you to join me thank you who else thank you yes yes others thank you thank you Yes, thank you. Thank you. Lord, you know. Thank you. Show. Thank you. Lord, you know. Show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, you know. Show. As you stand, that, that's a step of faith. 
I know it may seem small, but sometimes in a space like this of life, you one step like that helps you to take the next and the next and the next. Nothing magical about it, but everything obedient and trusting. Let us pray. Father, you know. You know our hearts when we do not. You know tomorrow better than we understand today. You know pain of a son who was mocked and died. You know the joy of a sinner come home, of a creation announcing your praise, of a people singing your songs. Jesus, you were in every way tempted as we are yet without sin. Lord, you know. Show. Show moms and dads and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and sons and daughters. Show them what to do, where to go, what to say, what decision to make. Lord, you know, show. I pray that what you've done for Becca and what you've done for Caleb, two of our young ones, do for others. And may we be devoted to prayer. In your name. Jesus. Amen.